word, and it is God's word specifically to husbands. So please follow as I read the passage for you, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Amen? There's deep stuff in this. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think we'll be back on that in January after Christmas. So. Let's, let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us into this gathering of believers and maybe some not yet believers too. Thank you for each one that you have brought in your providence to this group today, this meeting of the people of God. And we pray that your word will prove powerful and the Holy Spirit will be present to save people, to, to draw them to believe in the Lord Jesus and find everlasting life. Lord, you know who you have here today, and it's no, by no accident that they are here on this day. It's in your perfect plan. So we pray that what they hear from your word will bring them conviction of sin and their need for Christ, and that you'll draw them by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that people in this room today will be saved and bow their knees to Christ as their Lord and their Master. We husbands look up to you and pray, give us grace for just reading it. We already know we have failed in many ways. Thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. Make the husbands of Cornerstone Church more like Christ, stronger husbands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, starting into the husbands, by, by, by the way, my, uh, my wife last week said to me, when you start husbands, you know you've got to really hit them hard. You've got to hit them hard. And one of you said to me after the service last Sunday, which was kind of a hinge, a little bit to wives still starting in on husbands, and one of you said to me, you've got to hit the husbands really hard. And, and then he said, 
I want you to kick my gluteus maximus. All right, well, I don't know whether I'm going to satisfy my wife's or that guy's demands, but I'm just going to work my way through the word. Is that okay? We're going to go through the passage. What comes out of the passage? We're going to spend some time on it. As we warm up to husbands, I want you to notice the husbands get a different set of commands than the wives did. Isn't that interesting? Like, why didn't you just say, wives, love your husbands, husbands, love your wives? Done. Let's move on. There's a different set of commands. Probably the commands given to the husband are what wives most want him to be and need him to be and what husbands tend to fail at and vice versa. So different commands. For example, we didn't explore this under the wives, but there are basically three commands in the New Testament that are given specifically to wives as wives. The first one we've already seen in our passage, it is wives, be submissive to your husbands. That's that Greek word that we explored a little bit, hupa, under, tasso, stand. It's a term of rank. It's used a lot in the military, though the family doesn't exercise it like a military situation. But it's used a lot in the military where that person outranks me. You might feel that you're smarter, and you might be. You might have more experience. You might have better character. But the fact of the matter is they have a higher rank. And in the family, God says there's a hierarchy, and the husband has the rank of head, and you are to be submissive to him in his rank as head. That's the first command to the women. We saw that. The second command for the women we've not gotten to yet. It's at the very end of the passage here. It's interesting. He does husbands, a couple of verses. I'm sorry. He does wives, a couple of verses. Then husbands, bunch of verses with a lot of Christ and the church in them. And then at the very end, he says, now let me summarize. So let the husbands see that they love their wives and let the wives see that they respect their husbands. So there's the second command to the wives. First one is, Hupatasso, be submissive, rank yourself under his authority in the home. And the second one is, make sure you respect him. We'll get to that when we get through the passage. And then there's a third command that is to the wives, and that comes indirectly in Titus 2.4, where we're told that the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands. So God is concerned that the younger women love their husbands. He doesn't direct, he doesn't direct this to them directly. He doesn't say, so you younger women, I want, but the, the older women are to teach this. So the three commands to the wives are, hupatasso him, rank yourself under him, and Make sure that you respect him and love him. To the husbands, by contrast, there are four commands. Does that mean we're worse? We need one extra command? I don't know. To the husbands, there are four commands. The first one is here in Ephesians, and it's love your wife. Four times in our text. Love her. Love her. Love her. Love her four times. The second command comes to husbands in the sister text, Colossians 3.19, love her, and do not be harsh with them. That's the second command. Love your wives and do not be harsh with your wives. That's unique. That's interesting. He doesn't say that to the wife. Don't be harsh with your husband. says it to the husband. This is something he might be prone to. This is something that would be very wounding to her. Make sure you're not harsh with her. 
And then there's another command to the husbands. It's in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The command is simply, understand her. Cotton implies that might take some work because you and she are made differently, and frankly, she's probably more complex than you are. So you need to understand femininity, and you need to understand not only that in general, but you need to understand your wife's unique variety of femininity. So that's a command. Love her. Don't be harsh with her. Understand her. And here's the fourth command to the husbands, showing honor, 1 Peter 3, 7, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Showing honor to her. There's the fourth thing to the husband. You're supposed to make that woman feel honored. She's to respect you. You have a position. You're to make her feel honored. I want to use this illustration again when we get there, so I, hmm, I'm going to use it now and hope you forget by then that I already used it. But so to illustrate that, honored. So for a wedding present, somebody, my parents, gave us a really nice set of fine bone English china. It's Royal Dalton and the variety of that. It's pastoral. Debbie got to pick it up, but, pick it out, but they bought it for us. It's beautiful. And there are these fine bone china cups that have a little, what do you call the? The saucer, thank you. I was going to call it a plate. It's a saucer. It's a saucer and a cup. And it's really beautiful stuff, and it's delicate. So when you wash one of those, you, like, you wash carefully, right? Don't bang it against the edge of the sink. When you put it away, you put it away carefully in a special place that honors the beauty and the value and the frailty, in this case, of that cup. And then we have a cast iron frying pan. That's you guys. And when you wash that thing, you bang it around, you scrub it hard, you shove it in with all the other metal things on it. There, it's in there. That's to illustrate honor. That's what Peter's talking about here. You treat that woman like she's fine bone china. So she's to feel honored. So it's interesting. There are these three commands to the women, be subject, respect, Love, and these four commands to the men, love, 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 love. Don't be harsh with her. Understand her and show her honor. These are the New Testament's basic commands to husbands and wives. So we're seeking to cover all those in, in time. But it's just interesting, the contrasts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and there is masculinity and there is femininity and there's lots of overlap in which we're basically the same, but there are ways in which we're different and those differences in gender, I shouldn't use that word, they produce different gender commands. So now let's zero in on husbands a little more. So I, I don't know why, I just got to thinking, what, what if none of the husband-wife passages existed and we were left to figure out for ourselves, how do I make my marriage better? Like, how do I become a better husband or a better wife? What passages would you point me to, Pastor Steve? Oh, I know, that's easy. I would take you straight to Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. It's not up there, but you remember it. Let me read it to you. But the fruit of the Spirit, so if you have the Spirit of God really working in your soul, it bears fruit. Things come out of that. 
The other people in your life will feel those things that come out of that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All right, I think that would be pretty good for a marriage, right? A lot of that. Joy, that'd be pretty good for a marriage. He brings joy into the marriage. She brings joy into the marriage. We got joy in the marriage. And peace and patience. Is that a good one for a marriage? Yes, that's a good one for a marriage. And kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, Galatians 5.22. So, so if there weren't any of these passages, husbands do this, wives do this, that'd be a pretty good passage to like memorize and meditate on and pray over. And instead of saying like, I want to be a better husband, can you give me some husband commands? How about start here? I need to be a better Christian. I need to be a better human redeemed by the Lord Jesus. Can you give me a better human redeemed passage? And it's hard to find a better one than that. So you want to be more of a blessing to your wife? Get more fruit of the Holy Spirit. You want to be more of a blessing and a joy to your husband? Get more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Follow Jesus Christ more closely. All right, let's get closer to husbands. Here's the first thing we're going to say. We need to set this up. We've already seen it in the text, but now we need to see it and apply it to the men. It's this. Next slide. The husband, you know, is the head of the wife. So we were telling wives that because they needed to know that, but now we're telling husbands that, and we need to tell it in a different way. So husband, this is your identity. This is who you are in the marriage it's not who you should be. You are who said so, God. God looks at you, husband and wife, and he says, you, sir, you are head. Why? Because he said so. Because he appointed you as that. The, the word head is the Greek word kephale, and it means authority, and it always goes with responsibility. And in a good marriage and in the kingdom of God, you, you better be thinking more about this means responsibility. It's like God said, um, there's a family. I want it to be really well. You, sir, I'm putting you in charge of that. You're responsible to make sure it's got lots of the fruit of the Spirit. You're responsible to make sure it's healthy and a joy. You're responsible to fix things that get broken. You're responsible to lead it well. You're the responsible party. It's like if there's a couple of you out on a job somewhere and the boss comes in, the big boss comes in, and he gets out and says, you, I want, you're in charge of this, make it all work. All right, that's the job. So husbands, it's not that you should be head, you can be head, you might be head, you're on the way to becoming head of the home. No, you are. God says so. Let's look at the verse again, Ephesians 3, I think it's verse, uh, what is it, 23? Next slide, that's it, 22, 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For, here's why, for the husband is the head, he is. It's indicative. It's not imperative, should be. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. By the way, Paul repeats this and puts it a little differently in 1 Corinthians 11, not up there, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So there's a hierarchy that God made. 
Doesn't mean that the father is any better than the son. Doesn't mean that the husband is any better than the wife. But there is a hierarchy. And in it, the husband is head. God confers headship upon him. Now, this is where I want to go with that, guys. Here you go, guys. Come back to me if I lost you. So, not, not enough guys are sufficiently feeling the weight of that responsibility, are seeing the importance they need you to be this. They depend on you to be this. Like, if I was a woman, I think I'd be a little bit terrified saying I do. Because my future is being put into his hands. He's going to be the leader of this. He's the responsible party. I can influence lots and lots, you know. But I'm saying, yes, I will follow, I will submit to this man's leadership. It's like, can I really trust him? Is this going to go good? Do I think he's got the wisdom? So not all men are conducting themselves like head, like the head of the home. One very well-respected Christian spokesman for the family, he's written a lot about the family. His name happens to be John Piper. He wrote, quote, in my view, America's greatest need, that's saying something big, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the mere acquisition of money. Now, Piper didn't say, don't make money. He said, don't make money to the to the damaging of your family, to ignoring your family. Piper goes on, quote, If I were to put my finger on one devastating sin today, it would be the lack of spiritual leadership by men at home and in the church. It goes on, hold your seat. The spiritual aimlessness and weakness and lethargy and loss of nerve among men is, he says, the major issue. He puts the the in there. Pride and self-pity and fear and laziness and confusion are luring many men into self-protecting, self-exalting cocoons of silence. He ends with a question as if that wasn't enough already. Where are the men with a moral vision for their families and a zeal for the house of the Lord? Well, I told you my wife and that other guy asked me to hit you hard. I let John Piper do the heavy hitting, though. <laughs> this is a problem in, our, in the church of Jesus Christ and in, in our nation, in our world. Some families cry out for it. Wives cry out for it. Please, will you lead us to something better? Please, will you take responsibility and work with our problems? Please, will you take the initiative and make sure this is getting better and better to the glory of God and the blessing of our souls and the good of our little ones? Please. You are ahead. Get with it, man. Lead us, counsel, discuss, advise, get busy. Many Christian wives wish. By the way, you are ahead for several purposes. I want to emphasize this at a number of different points throughout this whole thing. 
So you are ahead for the blessing and benefit and health and well-being of your family. That's a very important purpose. But there's a larger purpose. Well, why do we need healthy families? Because God has given every family a part of the mission, which we call the cultural mandate, which was given by God in Genesis chapter 1. He said to the first man, here's what I want you and your woman to do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and exercise responsible dominion over it. So that's the mission. In other words, guys, your wife is not the mission. Well, I've made my wife happy. Good, you should do it. My wife is a happy, joyful, blessed woman. Good, that should be. That's not the end of the mission. It's my wife is a happy, blessed, joyful woman so that we together can fulfill God's cultural mandate, which is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and exercise dominion over the world with principles. You getting me? Are you following me at all? So the family is not the end. The family is not, the wife is not the mission. The mission is the mission, exercise responsible dominion. One way to get families healthy enough to go there is have a wise head. Then that family can be on mission. They can be working together and pooling their strengths. So, husband, your head. Now, the husband is head. Now I need to qualify that a little bit. Just like I did first week on wives, we had a message on wives, and then second message, the whole message was on let's qualify things. Well, we're already to qualifying things with husbands. Here we go. Qualification number one, hierarchy in marriage doesn't look like hierarchy in the military, business, government, or church, or like that of parents with children. So there are parents and children. They're going to come up in Ephesians chapter 6, and the children are told, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That's not what you do as husbands and wives. The husband doesn't say, now obey me. Why? Because it's right. No, what gets set up for children doesn't fit in marriage. It's the same with civil government. God in Romans 13 gives civil government authority to make laws that regulate your behavior, and if you don't obey, they have a sword. You don't want a husband with a sword and making laws that people have to obey. That doesn't fit. It's a different kind of authority aura. It's the same with military. Paul chooses a military term for the wife, hupotasso, submit yourself. But it's not like being in the military. Don't imagine like you're the general and she's the some other rank. All right? It's, it's not that. You don't want a military aura in your family. Does she have to salute you? That doesn't sound very healthy to me. It's the same with business. Uh, Paul tells in Ephesians 6, you know, the, uh, the master is to be a beneficent master, and the slaves are to do this for the master. It's not that. We don't have slave and master here. In the kingdom of God, authority differs in its manifestation from, from one hierarchy to another. It's not the same in a marriage as it is in the military, I want to say again. So in the marriage, it is its most tender, its most intimate, its most personal, its most characterized by love. In a marriage, it's different. So here's another qualification. Let's put the slide up. Next slide. And in the kingdom of God, and so in the family, there is a transformation of the way we exercise authority. This affects us in the church. It affects us in the Christian family. Jesus taught on this, no slide for this, but Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them, his disciples, together, and he said, here's a little lesson from Jesus to us disciples, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, our government, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Then these words from our Savior, not so with you. We don't operate like that. Instead, here's how things are in the kingdom of God. It's upside down. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so listening to our Lord Jesus, authority is more responsibility in the kingdom of God. And responsibility means service. And that's why he's going to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's not so much about, I'm the husband, I have, res- I have authority. It's, I'm the husband, I got responsibility. I'm here for their blessing and benefit and well-being. In Ephesians 5, we see this same thing, this transformation. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, sovereign of the universe, loves his bride and brings her toward holiness. And how does he do that? By offering himself for her, by suffering for her. He doesn't make her suffer for him. I'm I'm the king, you suffer for me. No, I'm the king, I'll suffer for you. He gives himself for her. She doesn't give herself for him. He's washing her. She's not washing him. He's taking responsibility to lead her. She's not having to lead him. So we're to be like Christ, not like the military or any other human hierarchical relationship. And something else that plays into this transformation of the aura of authority in a marriage is the fact that in Ephesians 5, Paul says, and you are one flesh. It's so cool. He says, it's so profound that when you become one flesh with a woman, you're one. He says, when, if you're loving her, you're loving yourself. Wait a minute, I thought that was her over there, and I thought this was me over here. What do you mean if I'm loving her, I'm loving myself? You two are so one that when you love her, you will actually receive benefits. You'll be the beneficiary of that as much as her. It's good for you both. It makes the whole thing good, and the whole thing is you're one. That oneness flavors this relationship. Again, 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter says, show her honor because you're joint heirs the grace of life. There's a great leveling right there. She has the breath of God in her nostrils, and you have the breath of God in your nostrils, and you have eternal life in your soul, and she has eternal life in her soul because you've both come to Jesus Christ. And so you're joint in that. There's no hierarchy in that part. We're all leveled right there. So that's some qualifications about being head. Man, authority recedes. Responsibility, beneficent responsibility comes to the fore. Are you getting this, guys? You getting it, guys? So you want to be like that guy I mentioned in last week's sermon, in my family, I'm king. No, you're going down a very wrong street there, brother. Jesus is king. You're to be servant of all. All right, so what, what, 
What are the unique commands to husbands? I mentioned them earlier. Let's get started in the first one. Next slide. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Four times in our passage, love your wife. Love your wife. Did I say love your wife? Let me make sure you got it. Love your wife. One method you can use of making a point is repeat it. Paul repeats it like, did you get it now? I just said it four times. Did you get it? Here's the main, the most basic, the important command I'm giving you today. You are to love that woman. Like, so she feels loved. So she knows she's loved. So you tell her you love her. This is the most basic thing. Love your husband. I mean, your wife. Wives, love your husband. By the way, would you notice, husbands are commanded. It's a command. It's an imperative in the Greek, which implies a lot that we need to pause and think about a little bit. So in our, in our age, here's the view we have of love. In our culture, here's how we think about love. Uh, love is a feeling that you feel when you feel that you're going to get a feeling that you never felt before. It's like that. It's just this, this feeling. And, and you're a victim of love. You have no say in the matter because we use this phrase, we use it all the time, and I'm not objecting. Go ahead and use it. But we say, well, I fell in love. What does that mean? Sounds like you were walking down the street and somebody left the manhole cover open and whoop, now you fell in. I was minding my own business and the next thing I know, I love this woman. I just fell in. And then here's the bad part of that. If you can fall in, you can fall out. And so here's the Christian couple and they go to see the Christian counselor and that's good, they should. If you're struggling, please get some help. There are very skillful people who can help you. You might need that help. So they go, to see, they go to see the counselor, and the man thinks, well, I'll just settle this whole thing right up front. I'll just tell the counselor what's really going on here. And he says, I just need to tell you, I just don't love her anymore. Like there. That should settle the whole thing. Nothing more to say, because I went ahead and spilled the beans. I just don't love her anymore. The wise Christian counselor puts his finger on the text, Husbands, love your wives, and says, well, you'll just have to start then, won't you? You'll just have to learn how then, won't you? Now, see, in our age, you're a victim of love. You fall into love. You can fall out of love. It's not something you can learn. I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. I just don't love her anymore. No. God says, you, sir, Love that woman. Well, I don't love her. Well, you're going to have to start. And love is not a feeling that you feel, etc. Love is a thing you can do that leads to feelings that you'll feel. You need to start doing the things that lead to the feelings and love that woman. Love her. This is the main thing. Love her, love her, love her, love her. It reminded me of a Broadway show from years ago, actually in 67. So I was a kid. And my dad got into Broadway. He had a lot of records, and he'd play them in the house all the time. And I, man, I heard a lot of Broadway. I can still sing. You want me to sing this for you? I can still sing this thing. No. <laughs> this was a Broadway show that I think we might have even gone to once. It was Camelot, King Arthur, Richard Burton. And the song is How to Handle a Woman. Anybody know that song? How to, oh, yeah, how to handle a woman. So here, here's, the, here's the line. How to handle a woman. Mark me well, I will tell you, sir. The way to handle a woman is to love her. 
Simply love her. Merely love her. Love her. Love her. Five times. He outdoes the Apostle Paul. I think that King Arthur was on to something good there. What's the most important thing? Love her, love her, love her, love her, love her. Paul's first command, love her four times. Not love your job, not love your tools, not love your truck, not love your garage. You might really enjoy all those things. Not love the ravens. I just had to say that, didn't I? You might watch ravens. I'd watch them with you. It's an awesome game. Definitely not love somebody else's wife. That's called coveting your neighbor's wife. It's a violation of the 10th commandment. But you are to love your own wife as Christ loves the church and as you love yourself. That's the big command. You don't want to be the husband and she's saying, I don't feel love. I don't feel like I'm loved. He never tells me he loves me. You don't want to be that guy. This is the will of God, and this is the command of God. And it's not legalism to say, men, God is commanding you to love her. You're to do it evangelically. You're to do it by the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in you. You're to do it in dependence on Christ and the way he strengthens you. But you're to do it. You're to love that woman. Well, can you give us some models? Yes. Next slide. Who are the models for a husband loving his wife? And it's interesting. It's curious. Paul gives us two. We tend to think of only the one, but there's a second one that he sneaks in there. So let me tell you what they are, and then we'll take one and then the other. The two models he gives us are Christ and how Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And then he says the second model is you and the way you love yourself and take care of yourself. Interesting. Like, I, I shouldn't be a model anywhere near Christ being a model, but I am. Christ is a model, and, well, the way you care for yourself, that's a model to you. You should learn from them both. Let's take Christ, that model. Verse 25, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What an amazing verse. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? He loved the church. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate? He loved the church. Why did he allow himself to be the thorns shoved down in his head and the, the nails driven through his hands? He loved the church. Why did he suffer and absorb into his holy soul the wrath of God that sinners like us deserve? Because he loved the church. He loved the church. He didn't say, well, I have to do this thing. I don't really like them. No, he loved the church. She wasn't even lovely, but he loved her. She needed him to love her, so he loved her. He didn't look down and see what was going to become the church and say, oh, they're so attractive, I must have them. No, she was not attractive, but he loved her. His bride... Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. You're supposed to have that kind of wife and your, that kind of love, and your wife could write that hymn about your love for her. 
Oh, the deep, deep love of Steve. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. You want your wife to be composing that about you. So husbands, here's the big ask. Will you commit to that? Will you receive that as God's will and God's command and God's purpose and God's role for you? This is what you do, primary thing you do as head. Will you receive that? And will you respond to it with a, Lord, I am weak, but you are strong. Please give me grace. You must help me. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for forgiving me for all my many, many failures. By the way, my wife's sitting right there. And before we came over here today, we're both getting ready to come over to this building. And I asked her, so which service are you in today? And she said, well, I'm serving downstairs in the first service. I'll be up in the second service. And knowing what I had to preach on today, I told her, uh, if, if you get tired serving with the kids in the first hour, I don't mind if you just go home after that. And she said, was something convicting to you in this sermon, huh? Yeah, very. Like, who is sufficient for these things, right? Right, guys? That's a pretty high bar. Love her like Christ loved the church. But you must commit yourself to that. Lord, by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, with the new heart you've given me in Christ, I will seek to actually do that. Commit to it. Here's a second model for a husband loving his wife. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's yourself. He says, in the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And then this surprising statement, he who loves his wife loves himself. And then he explains that, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So what's, what's Paul saying? Well, we have this concept in our day where they say, and I'm going to differ with this, they say, before you can love other people, first you have to learn to love yourself. I'm going to say that's totally biblically wrong. Biblically, here's how it works. You already love yourself immensely, ginormously, hugely. What's it mean when they say people need to learn to love themselves? What they mean is you need to learn to like yourself. Like, let's say you're a guy and you wish you were six foot seven and 300 pounds. But I'm not. I'm never going to be six foot seven and 300 pounds. Darn. I don't like me. Well, you have to learn to like you because God fashioned you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made as you are and who you are with the talents and not talents and whatever that you have and don't have. And instead of spending your life envying and whining and move, I wish I was, I wish I was, you have to submit to God and, and accept this is the self he made. I like myself. But you wouldn't even care if you weren't six foot seven and 300 pounds if you didn't already love yourself. That's why you care. I love me so much that I'm hurt that I'm not huge. If you didn't love yourself, you wouldn't care. You might be like, serves you right. 
Are you getting what I'm saying? So Paul's assumption here is, man, you love yourself. This is going to be a model to you for how you're going to love her. You know how you love yourself? And he gives examples of it. You know how you nourish yourself? Like when you get hungry, what do you do? Eat. Did anybody eat this week? Yeah. And, and you care for yourself. What are the other terms he uses quick? No one ever hated his own flesh, but you nourish it and cherish it. Oh, yeah, so you cherish it. Like, you get a splinter, and the world stops. Wait a minute. i got to deal with this splinter. You get a little speck in your eye, and it's bothering you. Wait a minute. Stop everything. I'm going to get this speck out of my eye. You nourish it and cherish it. You buy products. You have them all piled up in your bathroom. You hop in the shower. There's 16 different shampoos right there. You shampoo, and then you conditioner, and then you have the other thing, and then the other thing, and you take care of all this stuff, and then you perfume it, and you put jewelry on it, and you buy nice clothes to put on it. You get heated seats in your car for it. And we take care of our bodies, right? He's saying, you know how you take care of your body? She's your body. Take care of her. Just like you do yourself. Whoa. That's another pretty high bar. But how does the husband most manifest his love to his wife? Let's just peek at it. It's back in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave gave himself up to die for her. That's how husbands most manifest their love. We'll come back to that. That'll be the next sermon. But uh, husbands love and, and give. Mark 10, 45 says, and it's not up there, of Jesus, he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many This is how we most manifest our love. I give myself for you. Sometimes husbands imagine, they deceive themselves, and they imagine, and they lie to their wives, and they say, honey, everything I do, I do for you. Strange, because it sure doesn't feel like it, right? It looks to be like everything you do, you do for yourself. Oh, no, everything I do, I do for you. You want to be the husband who can say in truth, everything I do, I do thinking, believing at least, it will be the best thing for you. I put you ahead of me. I put the children ahead of me. I'm here a servant of all. I'm here to lead in a way that's principled so that you're principled, so you're all loved and blessed and cherished and nourished and cared for just like I tend to my own body. Because you are my body. We're one. The husband most manifests his love by loving her and giving himself for her. So, Lord willing, more on that next Sunday. Well, are there any other husbands here who wish their wife hadn't come today? We have a lot of repenting to do. We all know we don't measure up. But here's the danger. You could just easily nod and say, yeah, yeah, so I ought to be that. And, you know, it's like I'll work on that sometime. No, no, you really need to work on that. So Debbie and I have been married. I tell you this too often, but it's still true. 
47 years. It is to be hoped that she feels way more loved than she did 47 years ago. Like, should, have I, should I not have gotten a little bit better at this by now? It is to be hoped that she is way more understood than she was 47 years ago. It is to be hoped that she is way less, I'll use my own word this time, annoyed by me than she was 47 years ago, right? Like, have I improved in any way? I'm not asking you, don't answer that. <laughs> so husband, would you take these things seriously because her life, their lives depend on you being a better follower of Jesus Christ and a better head in your home. So let's pray, Father in heaven, Thank you for this portion of your word and how it speaks to us with such clarity. First of all, we, we come now and confess our sins to you, that we have sometimes been selfish or we've been weak or we've been distracted or whatever it is. Thank you for the blood of Christ that washes us clean of all our sins. No doubt there are husbands in this this church building right now who have experienced horrifically painful times in a marriage. Maybe you have seen the destruction of a marriage. And we can think about all the feelings this might bring back to them, but may we all by your grace still receive your word in its truth. And may we as a church cherish these things. Father, would you strengthen the husbands, the men of this church to be the wise, Christ-like kind of head you've called them to be? Would you strengthen the families of this church? Would you make the marriages beautiful with the fruit of the Spirit all over them? And then would you help us to show the world it's all because of Christ? So we pray for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you like to talk to a cornerstone pastor? Well,